Hello, and welcome to Alone in the Boondocks. My name's Andrew. And my name's Tyler. And, uh, hey, you know what? Why don't you introduce what we're going to talk about this week? We're going to talk about the first protest that we attended in our small town. Area. Community. Yeah, county, tri-county area. Um, there were hangout, hangout spot. Yeah, there were um, a lot of uh, Black Lives Matter protests in our area. Um, really surprisingly, I feel like I, I was blown away by um, both the number of people who turned out and the number of individual demonstrations that there were available to go to over the past few weeks, and and then that are being still planned for the future at this point. Um. The one that we went to was actually an answer to an impromptu one that I attended a week prior. Uh, We just, I saw some people posting that they were going to be out with signs um, demonstrating in support of Black Lives Matter and um, uh, in opposition of uh, police brutality. So a bunch of people, I shouldn't say a bunch of people, a few people showed up. I was one of only two people. men there actually it was mostly um women uh and their kids their moms and their kids um and i think there were about 15 of us at that one um and it was good but it was also uh it we were definitely uh shouted at and accosted way more at that one than we were at the one that we're going to talk about today so um Clearly, the, the we we are not in any way trying to you know reverse what we emphasized in the last episode, where because this is an issue directly affecting the black community, it should be black voices that lead this that you are listening to, uh, if you wish to to hear the most you know pertinent and essential um, voices in in the discussion today. Um, that being said, Tyler and I have both. Um, taken it upon ourselves as uh, white allies to do what we can so that the people of color in our communities and in the world at large um, recognize the solidarity that we're putting forth, that we recognize our own privilege, that we recognize that there is a difference in the way that the world at large operates with us versus a person of our exact age with a different skin color. It's vicious and it's, it's, uh, it's ugly that that is how it is, but to, um, claim colorblindness or to do nothing at this point, um, kind of makes you, you know, I shouldn't even say kind of, it makes you complicit in all of the issues that are being discussed. Yeah. We talked about it last week, how easy it was to literally do anything to just, to not be silent, to just help out in even the smallest of ways. Every little bit counts. Right. And I would have, I mean, a, a few years ago, I was very critical of what I called, I mean, and I didn't coin the term, but the, the term slacktivist, you know, uh, the Facebook warrior, the, the, the Twitter shit poster. Um, if that is what you, if that's all you can do because you have some type of anxiety or I, there were, there were several people in our community that I reached out to while we were organizing this last event, uh, who could not participate because of what it would do to them professionally. Again, you can disagree with that idea, but I think that the fact that these people would still, you know, they were sending cases of water out to the protest. Um, They were sending messages to the the demonstrators in support and solidarity. They were reaching out to people of color in our community to ask if they needed anything and let them know that they were with them. Um, 
but for one reason or another, they were not uh, allowed, quote unquote, to be uh, at the demonstration with us. So again, I get that that's controversial, but I do think that it's important to distinguish between people who are doing nothing and people who are incapable of doing much. There, there is a difference there. Um, that's just right. how it is. I agree. Uh, side note really quick. I think you can hear my daughter crying in the background. My wife is with her. She is not just in a room by herself crying, I swear, but my walls apparently are very thin in my house. Um, and, uh, Tyler and I are both also recording in the middle of a thunderstorm. So you might hear that, uh, Bear with us, please. Side note, if you hear a baby crying on my side of things, please tell me because there's no baby present in my home. Isn't your house haunted with a, a ghost baby? <laughs> you know, with the things my neighbor washes in her dryer, so, dries in her dryer sometimes, I don't know what she does. I think she just dries steel toe boots constantly. Four oh. hours yesterday, just cha-jump, cha-jump, cha-jump. I'm like, when will it end, lady? Are they not dry? You should still be concerned... I mean, if she frequently dries hard things that shouldn't be dried, and now then you hear a, a baby crying, and you're just like, oh, yeah, makes sense. That's I'm confused how you're getting from point A to point B on this one, man. Uh, she's not drying babies. That's okay, not good. what I was getting at. Okay, I'm good. fairly <laughs> certain they are work boots. Okay. She probably doesn't own a pair of work boots because she's very old, and I think she doesn't work at a job that would necessitate the use for steel toe work boots i think but, that's uh to, to any of our more aged and distinguished listeners i unlike tyler fully respect your right to own and machine dry your own work boots please hand wash and hand dry your, your work boots <laughs> it's it'll save them in the long run oh man uh so let's talk about you know if, if we want to talk and, and and i think that to look at this in a more umbrella uh, type perspective, not necessarily just to talk about um, the protests that are currently happening, though clearly that's where the spotlight should be, but <clears throat> of what it's like to live in a small town, to live in a rural area, and try to set up a demonstration um, for progress and justice. Um, planning and setup, um, there really, there really wasn't a whole lot. There were uh, a lot of Facebook invites sent out. Um, a few yeah, of you us. Had sent me, you had sent me the invite, what, probably five or six to a week earlier, like prior to the event? Yeah. And, I mean, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it, but the turnout, I thought, was for having about a week of invitations going out, I thought was stellar. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that really was, it was a lot of word of mouth too. We had people who are not on social network show up at it. Um, I had begun reaching out a few, well, I did not reach out first and foremost. Um, I will put an asterisk here and say why specifically we reached out to law enforcement. Um, uh, but we did reach out to law enforcement to make sure that they knew what was going on. Um, and I even, I, 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 maybe I'm woefully misread on this. I wasn't sure, based on the number of people who said they were coming, if we would need a permit to do something like this, or um, if we would be violating any of our state mandate based on COVID-19 regulations. Now, um, we were encouraging everyone to wear a mask and to social distance. And I don't know that I saw anyone there who didn't have a mask on. Did you? There were a couple people, but we'll get to them in a little bit. Yeah, you're talking. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 
We, well, you can't see this if you're listening to this, but I'm doing finger guns, and we'll get there when we get there. Okay. Um, So we were connected to not only uh, some of the local state troopers, but also to um, a corporal who works in the Heritage Affairs Division. Um, And um, he was really great to work with, actually. Um, He talked to us because he said that he, like, that's what the Heritage Affairs Division does. Anytime there's anything related to a hate crime or um, a threat made against an ethnic group, anything like that, I guess they're directly involved. So when I had spoken to him... um, two days before the demonstration, he had told me that he had been at protests for like the, the, the last seven days solid. And he had been at protests um, previous to that. So um, that was just kind of, we just kind of got the blessing. Um, The other thing that we kind of just tried to get people to understand was that we were trying to unify a message here. I know that there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of disagreement about tone policing today. And again, um, as a, a white man, I think that it is not my, it, it is it should not be my role to police anyone's tone if they are, especially if they're a person of color. Like, this is your issue that I am here to do what I can for. It is not my, I, I, I would be, overstepping boundaries if I were structuring this message in a way that could be defamatory to you. And that's kind of how I looked at it. Um, So leading up to it, there were some white folks whose message started to skew. And and again, I don't mean to characterize it in any way, but uh, in a way that people were interpreting as potentially violent. Um, which really leads to the next category to talk about here, which are the threats that we began receiving um, soon after that. So uh, we've talked about the three percenter movement a weird number of times. I feel like on this show already, but it's because I'm I'm honestly infatuated with how incredibly hypocritical the entire thing is. Yeah, um, but uh, as I mentioned in uh, I think a previous episode. Um, when we were at that impromptu demonstration, one of the guys who showed up, uh, dressed in, you know, pseudo military garb, um, walking around with a gun, you know, um, getting in really close to people, um, and just kind of trying to stare people down. Um, and he said some things to people again, he never approached me. Uh, I wish that I could recharacterize the story and say like I, I I walked right up to him and put my chest to his chest and made sure that he wasn't making our people feel unsafe I did not I did not do that at the impromptu uh, protest anyway he was a three percenter um, he began directly harassing some of our organizers um, again saying nothing to me saying nothing to a few of the other um, straight white men who were helping organize Um Consistently, he targeted people that, again, we learned he thinks of as lesser than him. So women and people of color and LGBTQ uh, plus members of our community. Um, The the threats began things like um, if Antifa thinks that they're going to come to our town and burn it to the ground, they've got another thing coming. Um, We would have. 
Side note, we would have brought the bricks to that, but they didn't come in in time. Yeah, George Soros there was, was a, slow on the bricks. There was a delay. There's a lot of bricks going out. Supply yeah. and demand thing. We'll talk about supply and demand in another. You, you get, you get it. You understand. Yeah. Seventh grade social studies. Right. Um. So that I mean, he was the main antagonist, at least, um, in the virtual space. Uh, another person who got really upset with this happening is um, a local, I'll call him an influencer, and I'm not going to name his group, but he does have a a large online following of like 2,500 plus people. Um, again, I don't think that they are all from our county or the tri-county area or, you know, I don't think they're all directly local. They're just, they're picking up what he's putting down. And, and what he's putting down um, is... Is a whole lot of batshit crazy. Yeah. Uh, it... it the, the, his group is centered around the idea of um, unwavering, total abject support of the Trump administration. Um, like, to a level, you, you can't hear a Trump supporter speak anymore and not think, like, there's something loose, right? Uh, this guy is one of the most sycophantic, out there, in your face. Uh, Hillary Clinton is a lizard person hollow word i guess i shouldn't i shouldn't classify him that way he actually i don't think is a huge conspiracy theorist except that he thinks that the democratic party is um i think he does believe that they are satanic um but he's not like a QAnon guy or anything like that maybe they are what do we know I yeah don't know. i don't know um so i reached out directly to him um baphomet 2024 i don't know you're was there a, okay Sure. Sure. Um, wow, we're really <laughs> uh, we're really cutting down that listener uh, yeah, right now. Yeah. Um, so I reached out directly to him uh, on the day that he had announced that he would be holding a separate rally, uh, a back the blue rally. Um, a a, and again, I should I should clarify, our our organizing force was not communists anarchists uh anti-police pro-violence like it there there were members of a bunch of different political persuasions who showed up together we had outright republicans there with us um we had church leaders there with us um we'll, we'll talk about the the turnout later but the the classification that was being used by this gentleman online was that we were out of towners um Guilty. Uh, well, Guilty. I mean, yeah. I mean, a lot of people are "quote unquote" out of towners, but that's the, charged. that's the nature of a rural environment. Is like y y your community is a geographically wide area because it's so loosely populated. If I only hung out with people on my street, um, I would be, except for actual children, like the second youngest person in that group. Uh, you know, by a by a pretty wide margin. Um, and the youngest person would be my wife. Um, anyway, another person who, oh, sorry. So I reached out to him and just said, you know, please, if, if there's anyone listening to you, I said, I recognize that you don't necessarily agree with what we're doing. I wish you did. Um, but we're getting some threats from uh, people that I know you hold sway over. Uh, could you please just ask them to, to leave us alone? We don't want any problems. I, I can assure you from my standpoint that none of the people in our group are violent, are here to burn the town to the ground. Um, 
And his response was prickly to, to begin with, but I have to give him some credit because he did ultimately say he would do what he could to make sure that we weren't met with um, counter-protesters. Uh, and he, he went on to make a video about it. However, in the video, he name-dropped some of our members and called some of them literal pieces of shit um, in a really difficult-to-understand overarching analogy about Kool-Aid. And it's not the one you're thinking of, the whole Jim Jones drink the Kool-Aid. It was right you know there in the, front of him. You know the one right on the table, right in front of him, but he it, completely just, uh, yeah. so close, so close. It, right. It, it became more about um, he, he was drinking some Kool-Aid. And he said, and then he put some Swedish fish in his Kool-Aid. And then, and he said, did that ruin it? And his wife off camera was like, yes. And he was like, no, it didn't ruin it. And I, it, I mean, you know, Swedish fish and red Kool-Aid probably do taste. That's probably the exact same flavor, right? Yeah. Red, red, right. Red 40. Um, and then he talked about, you know, maybe if I cut up some fruit and put them in there, that would be good, right? That would be pretty good. He's like, and then is he maybe... Making, is he making Kool-Aid sangria? Yeah, and well, then he's like, uh, and then uh, maybe I'll put some vodka in there, right? And that'd be really good. Everyone would like that. He's like, but then maybe if I took just a small piece, just a little piece of a cat shit, and I put it in there, how many of you would drink that? Um, his point being uh, that while the whole movement in in our county locally might have had noble intent and again my words not his you know we're the fruit punch that's so great um but that one of our members two of our members were quote unquote the cat shit that was going into the kool-aid um i i i didn't call him on the hypocrisy again my my communication with him was solely to limit complications for the protest. Um, if, if I wanted to argue, he would more than willingly argue, I'm sure. Um, we should have him on. Oh, God. Ooh, that, that's that's called ratings bumps if I've ever seen. That's, that's sweeps week right there for us. We're getting all the ratings <laughs> we need in literally one episode. We don't have ratings yet. <laughs> like, what are you... <laughs> we do have two five-star ratings on iTunes. Do you know what it would do? It One would of bring... them is me. Nice. Well, uh, what it would do is bring all of his people t to our listenership to just destroy us as thoroughly as possible. Um, but anyway, we uh, we didn't enter into a debate or anything like that. Uh, Let's be honest. You would have you would have verbally murdered him. So, I mean, ultimately, I think that that's the difficulty right now. With, with with political discourse, and I kind of played that card on him, like, because I messaged him and I said who I am, and I said I'm a school teacher in the community, and you know I've been at board meetings that you were at where we actually agreed on the results of a vote. Um, and his first message back to me was, "I don't think we're compatible. Let's just leave it at that." Uh, and then, like, the, you guys the, were playing some weird version of the dating game or something. Yeah. Oh, I was fully, I fully intended to, to date him. Did I leave that part out? He was like, how do you feel about Burger King? And you said, impossible Whoppers are good. He said, impossible Whoppers suck. And yeah. he was like, I'm done with you. Right. Um, and then we never got the date. Um, but then, you know, the card that I played at that point was like the, oh, well, isn't that part of the problem with political discourse today? Yada, yada, yada. Two people from different sides can't, you know, agree to disagree and have a civil conversation. And that that led him to, to talk. And um, we... 
again, he was mostly reasonable until I said something. I asked him to make sure that his folks weren't coming out to disrupt what we were doing. Um, and he said, why should I do that? And I said, because I will implore my people then, my people, I didn't use that term, but <laughs> I will, I will, you know, ask my, my colleagues, colleagues, yes, associates, um, to leave your back the blue rally alone. And he said, are you threatening my rally? And I said, no, I would never do that. I'm not threatening your rally. I do know that there will be some counter protesters there. Um, again, personal decision, just not one that I would make. Um, I said, no, I'm not threatening your rally. I would never do that. Uh, I guess I'm simply asking for you to do that in goodwill. I said, I'm already encouraging people to leave you guys alone when you have your, your thing. Um, their rally, however, it should be mentioned, we protested in front of the courthouse for our county. They are having this rally in a private location. In, Can we disclose a, the private location? It's a well, I can tell you what it is and you'll know what I'm talking about. I, it, I know, yeah, I know where it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's at a closed down bowling alley that is yeah. uh, struggling to sell right now. Um, anyway. That, yeah, that, I feel like their back to blue rally is going to be a real gutter ball. <laughs> They're not going to get any turkeys from this one. That one wasn't as good. Your first no, time was better. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. You should have quit while you were ahead. Um, and then. <laughs> And then threatener number three was uh, a literal, I, I didn't know we had any in the area. I guess that just shows how naive I am about the, the, um, the far reaching uh, level of effect that the QAnon conspiracy theorists have. This guy also has an online following of roughly a thousand people who, I mean, to me, that sounds like a lot because we have like not very many who listen to the podcast at this point. We have like right? 60 people that like our Facebook page, <laughs> right. which if you haven't, you should like our Facebook page. Yeah. Um, but he has a, he has a sizable platform of people who uh, listen to what he's saying. And then they put it out there wider. It seems like, um, and this guy reminds me a lot of, do you know the YouTuber Mark Dice? Have you ever watched any of his stuff? No, it's don't, don't do it. Well, yeah, don't, don't give him the clicks. Um, he's absolutely insane. Like he's, uh, I feel like the term conspiracy theorist is said too much in this podcast. And we use it when we talk about things like, you know, it at, at its lightest, like, you know, people who believe in Bigfoot or whatever, Hey, like you, we don't associate uh, that. Now we talk about Michelle Obama creating the dab, right? Because it's a conspiracy theory that's wholesome and probably true. Right. Uh, but this, this, you know, Mark Dice and this other character who reached out to us, um, believe, you know, hollow earth, um, that the, that there's a, there's a enormous, well-funded, well-organized deep state that is satanic. And I guess I didn't know everything about QAnon. So I, I, I looked into it a little bit more after, um, talking to this guy. Did I tell you about what their whole thing is? No, I didn't. And I didn't look it up either. So their whole, their whole theory here is that in 2018, someone posted on 4chan claiming to be a member of the administration, the Trump administration, and that they have Q level clearances to, uh, intelligence in the United States and well, the world at large. Um, I guess again, I don't, 
I'm not well read on, you know, um, the intelligence community and what is what, but apparently Q level clearances are the highest clearance you can possibly have. Anyway, they claim to be, um, you know, an insider with this, this insight. And, uh, then they began saying things like, um, JFK Jr. is still alive. Um, and he and Donald Trump and Robert Mueller are working together to, um, combat child trafficking, child human trafficking, child sex work, things like that. Um, and, and that's where I've seen a lot of people who are not, who are not Q, QAnon plugged in begin spouting, um, false numbers about the number of pedophiles that Donald Trump has jailed, which you would think you'd hear about that in the news. Um, but you don't because they're, the news is just trying to bring Donald Trump down. Right, right. So um, just a few other touch points of this theory. Uh, at one point, Donald Trump was posing for a photo in the Oval Office with a bunch of other people and randomly said, this is the calm before the storm. And I remember seeing that in the paper and you know people speculating about what, what in the world is he talking about, the calm before the storm? Well, the Q kids... Um, decided that what that means is the storm is this huge wave of um, pedophiles that are going to be made public and pushed out and prosecuted. Um, that's the storm, and it's coming. Um, there's an organization. Um, some of them call them the, the Illuminati. Others just call them the deep state. That uh, it consists of, like, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, interestingly, Um they are all members of this organization. And the general uh, pantheon of whatever celebrities in the news at that time was also an Illuminati member. Correct, correct. Uh, if, I, if I remember correctly, Jay-Z and Beyonce, also Illuminati members. Yeah, Hova. Um, <laughs> that's, that, his hand symbol looks kind of like the Illuminati. Like the Illuminati thing, yeah. Yeah, if you just bring the thumbs up, it's there. Um, yeah, so anyway, the whole reason... Oh, also, I mean, like, you remember one of those... One of the... the conspiracy crazies who we talked about previously was saying about how like uh, children and youth was abducting kids from their home and storing them in tunnels under the, under the right. That, that all comes out of QAnon. And the whole theory is that these, these powerful, wealthy people need children to first of all, sexually abuse, but then they, they kill them and they bathe in their blood because children naturally have, I'm sorry, we should put a trigger warning probably on this episode, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, they bathe in their blood because it contains a, a component called adrenochrome, and they get really high off of it. So that's the whole <laughs> That's the like, whole thing. As a person just listening to you talk and knowing that you don't believe this, I think you're the craziest person in the world right now just hearing this. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, wow, this sounds like a great Bruce Willis movie. Oh yeah, that would be. I'd watch that movie. Live yeah. free or die without enough adrenochloroform or whatever it's called. I don't think that they're saying that it's vital for their survival. Simply that they get high off of it, and I've seen the I've seen the picture go around of like a bunch of like celebrities and political figures looking older, saying that they're running out of kids and stuff. Or it's oh. just the fact that they're getting older. Older. That's how that works. Guess what happens when you get older? Your skin goes down. Yeah. Unless um, somebody tightens your skin up. 
so this, this is a completely auditory podcast, and I'm making a lot of hand gestures right now. It's yeah, me tightening my face up. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm 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 losing the pulse here and traveling down again, exploring another conspiracy theory. Um, but this guy reached out to us and you know said that we were antifa and that we were, which we like. Let's be let's be straight. I am anti-fascist. I you, am also <laughs> anti-fascist. You should be too. Like. The fact that that needs to be stated is remarkable. Um, uh, there are, you know, there is a black block out there who is, you know, relatively well organized um, and they call themselves Antifa. Antifa is now a term that has been weaponized by the Trump administration to label anyone that they don't like um, as terrorists. Uh, again, I can speak pretty with with, with a, a level of resounding confidence that none of the people who were with us that day were terrorists. But I can also say that all of them would oppose fascism. Um, ultimately, uh, this level of pressure is what led to a few members of... Um, you know, more established positions, they were, they were told that if they, they participated, that there would be consequences for them, um, professionally or, or socially. Um, and that really, that really broke some people's hearts who wanted to be there. Um, but because it had been painted this way and because the, the messaging from the Trump campaign was that, you know, Antifa is bad. All it took was a few local yokels labeling us Antifa to, um, lead to a, a, a level of resistance that I guess I shouldn't be surprised about, right? Yeah. Um, Unfortunately. Yeah. So, so those were really the three main characters, all of which had their own followers who were um, declaring some type of, you know, allegiance to their leader, uh, you know, Trump being the, the, the highest of those. The grand poopa. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but they were going to come out and they were going to, you know, either debate us with facts and logic, as the Q kid said, um, or they were going to come out to squash our cause, which is what another person said, or they were going to come out to make sure that we didn't get up to to any bad stuff. Hood um, rat stuff. Yeah, hood rat stuff. Uh, man, I love that YouTube video. Um I didn't. I mean, if we were if we were planning any hood rat stuff for that Saturday, I didn't have time because I was very warm. It was very hot that day. It was. My it was pretty warm. My level of hood rat stuff would have been greatly affected by the heat. Yeah. Honestly, I, if if you need me to do hood rat things, get me a brisk fifty-five to sixty with a light breeze, so I can wear a jacket and jeans. I can do hood rat stuff all day then. Perfect, perfect hood rat weather. Perfect hood rat weather. It's 55 to 60 slight breeze. Yeah, I drank three liters of water while we were there. and I, I peed, didn't drink that much. I peed I zero have. times. I, I, did, I had no need to pee. I, I didn't once think, man, I, I need to get to a, a, a bathroom or a secluded bush. Uh, that thought never crossed my mind because we were sweating so much. And I feel like the masks, well, again socially uh responsible and necessary um really kind of um add like 15 degrees to the situation right yeah yeah everybody's got everybody had to take a step away for, at one point and just take the mask off for a second because like yeah. somebody probably would have went down if we wouldn't have 
right. and really just a great outreach from the community to we always had constant water there yes there was never yes. a time where we didn't have two or three cases of water just sitting around just ready to be consumed right to, re- and then to replenish was- our dreams for hood rat stuff right and then there was pizza brought in close to the end too so that was cool a lot of pizza yeah more pizza than was probably necessary i um, love pizza but after being out in that heat all day i did not want to eat pizza <laughs> yeah i don't think anyone's appetite was soaring at that point um so uh, you know st- i i know that we're ca- you're taking our time getting to the actual events of the demonstration but um uh i talk about my mom a lot on this this podcast and it's no i love my mom it's not a you know a secret but i too love your mom yeah um but she a few days she was going to come watch our daughter so that my wife and i could be out there together um uh she reached out to me like two or three days before the demonstration um crying because of what she sees happening you know on tv it's at some of these protests Again, not because of what she sees the demonstrators doing, but because of what she sees the counter-demonstrators doing. So in a a nearby urban area um, earlier that week, someone had driven their car into a crowd of of protesters. Um, No one was killed, and I don't think that there was anyone actually seriously injured either. Um, But we heard from people who, again, anti-racists who support what was happening um, really, really nervous and trepidatious about being out there. And, and, you know, what I said to my mom was that while I get what she's saying and I can't pretend like I'm not, you know, at least a little scared um, there, that level of fear is something that, especially in, in a rural community um, that is something that people of color live with every single day. Like, that that's that's the thing about the whole blue lives matter thing that uh, uh, of all the hypocrisy that is in there there's a lot to unpack but you there's no such thing as a blue life like you can take that uniform off and no one is going to be like that's the the cop and attack you um i am a white man living in a very white area no one attacks me because i'm white no one treats me poorly no one refuses to serve me no one revs their engine at me um because i'm white they might do it because they know who I am, yeah. <laughs> and that's a different story completely. But they, they um, rev your they rev their engines at you because you're cute. That's oh what it man, is. is that what it is? Honk honk, awooga, awooga. Well, that's insensitive of them. There are more appropriate ways of doing that. I wish they'd love me for my intellect. Uh, so that was you know what we heard, and 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 it's worth noting that while we were there. We did experience some level of intimidation tactic. Um, and again, we'll go over that, but uh, there was no violence. Um, it's not to say that the fear of violence is unwarranted. It's not to say that we shouldn't be careful every time we're out there. Um, but I understand. I'm not saying I, I agree with it, but I understand the position of I'm too afraid to be out there with you. I understand if only from the notion that, you know, it's, it's instinct to preserve life and limb. Right. Right. 
So, um, at the demonstration, we started at four. Um, I parked on a side street. I had reached out to um, the ministers of two local churches. Well, actually, I only reached out to the one minister, and then a friend of ours said she had spoken to another minister um, of nearby churches to see if people could park in their parking lots. We, I just wanted to make sure that we weren't going to park in a parking lot and then have you know church members be furious about who we were and why we were there and have hey honey did you hear the antifas parking in our church parking spots <laughs> right like i just didn't want to see our you know a bunch of cars get towed because the uh, you know parishioners were not allies as it turns out the blessing quote unquote and yeah, pun intended i suppose i would say there is a pun intended there yeah the blessing that we received from the local church community, more even than just those two churches. As I said, we had uh, a priest there with us. We had several pastors there with us. Um, it was really cool to see that level of um, solidarity from a, 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 a subset of the community that I am admittedly sometimes very disenchanted with, the, the level of um, activity and support that they will show for positive causes in our area. It's not to say that they don't do their own good things um, at all. That's all I'm saying. Um, But I was really, um, it made me check a prejudice of my own. Yeah, small town religion definitely gets a bad rap a lot of the time. Well, and in some cases, that's earned, right? Right. Oh, yeah, I don't mean it's not earned, for sure. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it gets, it's, it's sometimes very much due, but it was nice to see members of that community. Like that's that's a perfect example of just the amount of diversity we had with all the people. What did we we got a head count about halfway in, and what were we at? A hundred one thirty-three, I believe. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I outrageous. mean, I, to to those of you who have been in you know Philadelphia or New York marching, I recognize that that sounds like a pittance, um, but that is so much more than I expected and not to, you know, remove a feather from the cap of other local demonstrations, but the demonstrations in the two adjoining counties didn't come anywhere close to that. Um, again, I don't, that's not to detract from them in any way, but, um, I kind of expected to see something similar to that or something similar to the impromptu demonstration that we had. We had some people who said they were coming who didn't make it, and we had some people who said they weren't sure they'd be able to make it who did show up, and they brought friends. Um, to speak more about the the community that we saw, what the turnout looked like, um, I've, I've mentioned in a, a previous episode that most of the people of color in our county are Hispanic or uh, Latinx, um, and that was, a, that was a pretty large portion of who came out. We had, um, several black folks with us too. Um, we had, like I said, actual like card carrying Republicans out there with us. Uh, I actually, I spoke to a number of ex students leading up to the protest. Some of them reaching out to me, me reaching out to some of them. Uh, I think we had like 30 of 30 of not necessarily only my ex students, but, uh, you know, people who I knew to be, ex-students i they're adults that's not what i mean but they're not you know they're they're in college i didn't think of myself as you know an adult at that age so um maybe a young adult i don't know um but they were there that was awesome you were a you were a post teenager right yeah 
Um, there were several other teachers who showed up. Um, there, uh, actually, the daughter of one of our local police officers came out and demonstrated as well. I mean, the level of solidarity was humbling. Was I was floored. Um, it 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 gave me. It disproved a lot of my faithlessness in my community. Did you, I mean? Did you feel like that? Right. Yeah. There were there were many times just standing on the street corner, and you know you'd start to hear the chants, you'd hear the horns as the people come by, and you're just like, "Is this the town that I grew up in, or the county that I grew up in? That all these people are here, showing support for something that I'm also showing support in." Right. Um, and that that was incredible because. I mean, we named this podcast Alone in the Boondocks because it is so common to be living in this part of the world and feel socially, politically like you are alone. Again, let me take off my whiny white person hat here for a moment and mention if I decided, okay, if I decided living in this area of the world to stop advocating, to stop speaking out for others, to, you know, stop uh, staying informed about the issues and I could somehow subdue my conscience, I could live very comfortably for the rest of my life and be, and have no challenges uh, associated with, you know, why aren't you advocating? Why aren't you fighting? Why aren't you, except from, you know, the people who I've made alliances and friendships with in this community because of those things, um, that is that white privilege that I do have. Um, so to say that, you know, oh, so often I felt faithless, uh, I can't imagine what it, how alone in the boondocks, some of the people of color who were out there with us have to have felt at times. Um, and I, and I just hope, I guess that, 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 message of solidarity was spoken loud and clear that they that they got that that they know that there are allies that if there are if there is any you know racial intimidation or anything like that going on which i know that there is i hope that they now feel um a closeness enough to those of us with access to unwarranted privilege that they can talk to us and you know about anything and have us help them out i yeah, again, we, we don't stand for racial intimidation in these parts now. Yeah. Again, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not trying to play the part of white savior here. I've not really, I, I don't want to say I've not helped anyone, but I've not, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, I've been talking to some parents, um, some white parents who have black kids. I've been, I've been speaking to some Hispanic families about what their experiences have been here. And, you know, all of them say that they knew I was an ally, that I was an advocate for for equity. Um, and yet somehow, you know, hearing their their stories over the past few days of what they have faced in this community and they never they never opted to say to me, like, you know, even when it was a student teacher situation, they never came to me and said, this is what I'm experiencing can you help me out with that? And again, I don't, I don't mean to take that personally, but what that says to me is that if I want to call myself an advocate, if I want to call myself an ally, then it's not enough to just be passively not racist. 
I have to be actively anti-racist. Um, and you and brought up a, I feel like you brought up an interesting point when you said you're an advocate for equity because it just blows my mind that there's people in this area that are not advocates for equality. Like, yeah, it's literally as simple as that. Everyone deserves the same rights as everyone. I mean, really kind of what this episode is all about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we do. I mean, we do have people in the community who out and out will say we've already achieved it. We have it already. This, you know, the, the, the Q kid who I was talking about, um, that's a great name for him, by the way. Q kid. I like that. I don't know I if you made that of, up. I don't I, know if you made that up, but I'm going to give you credit. No, for it was not. It's not me. Uh, it was not me. Um, but I mean, he said that white privilege is a myth in a post. Uh, and then it was just amazing because not only did no one attack him, um, I was not, I, he had disabled me from being able to comment, so I was not able to. Um, but there were just like a dozen or so people who weighed in um, saying incredibly blatantly racist things like uh, blaming the social tensions uh, and the, the, the systemic, they, they blamed essentially systemic racism on um, black folks not working hard enough to get to where white folks are. Um, which like just to have the audacity to say that you are yeah. bathed in white privilege, yeah. you monster. Like, yeah. Did oh you my just, God. did Axe body spray just come out with a new scent called white privilege? Cause you just doused yourself with it. Yeah. I, it, uh, so, um, anyway, sorry. I mean, I don't, under, I don't know Axe body spray stand on the black lives movement, but, um, I don't know. Sorry, if, sorry if sorry if they are advocates for Black Lives Matter, and I just completely <laughs> threw them in. It's if we're being honest, it's probably Bod's body spray that has a white privilege scent. I don't think that exists anymore. Well, it does, but just in the we're not in the right communities to understand it. Yeah. So um, the mood of this demonstration was. I mean, we stood there talking and laughing between chants. Um, it, the the mood was high, right? Uh, it, yeah, we were we were riding a high. I feel like yeah, I mean, it felt good to be out there. You can say that we're not making a change, but even just standing on the corner for four hours, you feel like you're doing something. Yeah, and I mean, you're, again, to 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 speak to the the response that we received, um, easily fifty percent of the people who drove past showed. 50 or 60% showed outward support of what we were doing, whether that was honking their horn, hanging, hanging their bodies out the window to, you know, yell something back to us. It, 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 positive, positive yelling, um, fists, pumps, devil horns, peace signs. Uh, there was even thumbs there was, up, thumbs up. There was an old lady who drove past and like got really, really slow. You could see she was trying to read as many signs as she could. And, uh, like, um, she was super short. Like she could barely see up over the steering wheel. I felt like, and she just, you know, raised a hand and just kind of waved at us. And I mean, again, not to, to stereotype generationally, but we, we do know, you know, if you are a 90 year old, um, you have lived in a country where Jim Crow laws existed, where there was a lot, there was a, there was less of a taboo about being outright racist. So, um, to see support from, you know, 
very, very elderly portions of the population. That felt cool to me. Um, yes. Similarly, when, when people of color would drive by, uh, I hope, and again, most of them would be, you know, fist pumping or uh, fist pumping isn't a thing people say anymore after like Jersey shore doesn't exist. Right. No, they were pumping their fist. They, they had their fist held out the window. You know what I mean? Um, I hope that that is, um, something, I hope that there's some reassurance that can be gleaned from that, that, that we, we aren't all, um, casually racist bigots in this community that, that you do have allies. Um, we did, we did get flipped off by one black man. I did. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. I still not a hundred percent sure why I, I saw something that, um, it wasn't a pew poll and it was someone again, purely conjecture. Cause I didn't do the research. Um, that did suggest that 7% of uh, black America supports Donald Trump still. So it's not, I mean, and that, I mean, it would be ignorant for us to look at any issue and say, well, yeah, clearly all the people of this race will agree. Right. Um, right. So yeah, there absolutely are, are um, black Americans who don't think that there's an issue with police violence, who don't think that there's uh, an issue with social equity, who don't think that there's an issue with um, over-policing of black neighborhoods, um, or, yeah, I mean, that exists. Uh, I think they're, I think they're wrong. And I, and I mean, we've got 93% of the black community who agrees on that measure. Um, but yeah, it, it also, there is. was that one guy who drove past to yell at somebody in the crowd. Also, that guy can still suck it. So, yeah, right. um, yeah. that guy he yelled at was me. I made him yell at me. So. Yeah. Um, outside of that, we had a few cars kind of take a take the corner pretty pretty wide. Yeah. Um, one, when I was standing directly on that corner, I won't lie. I mean, I stepped back and almost fell on my ass because I thought that car was coming. I, you know what I mean? I, I thought, yeah, that I was, was right there with you. Yeah. Um, and then they, you know, turned last minute and their intent was clear. It was, it was pure intimidation. Um, I had a few other, few other little boys in a big old truck with a Trump flag. Uh, Ooh, yeah, I, for, I forgot about them. Yeah. They buzzed by a few times and then he tried to do a burnout and he slipped a gear. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> called did, small. That's called small dick energy. <laughs> he did not, he did not stall out, but Oh my word. Oh, the, the it, crowd it would have went really wild. Good. If you would have stalled that truck, I felt biggest, like the crowd went wild just seeing, I mean, and that was the last pass he made. He was not coming back after that. Biggest pop um, of the night was when that guy slipped a gear. Yeah. Um, other counter protesters. We did have a guy, uh, swing in real real close on his truck and park it was in a parking space it was like you know um and he came out and he had uh, a manila envelope and very official yeah yeah very official manila <laughs> manila envelope that can be purchased for seven cents um he got out and you know no one there was saying George Floyd is a messianic figure. Like no one was, no one was saying that. And it, there's something bothersome to me about the idea that even if a person 
committed a crime, past or present, and you are still okay with the extrajudicial killing of them, then guess what? You don't believe in due process. Like, these are the same people who, and again, I am pro-Second Amendment. I will wear that. Um, But these are the people who will shove the Second Amendment down your throat anytime there's a conversation about it. They think they're constitutional scholars when that happens. But then something like this happens, something that breaches every precept of the legal code, where a person is literally murdered, and because you say they have past drug charges, you think that's justified? Um, But anyway, that's what he was out there doing. Uh, His envelope supposedly was full of George Floyd's criminal record. Um which it just it 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 doesn't it's not even a relevant element of the conversation. Yeah, and this guy took the time and the computer ink and the printer, I'm sorry, printer ink and <laughs> printer paper to print these out. Yeah. He felt so sure of his cause that he had to print these papers out. Yep. And uh and purchase uh, a manila envelope. Yeah. Yeah. He brought, he might have just had that laying around. I like to think he had to go out and buy it. He bought a single manila envelope? Seven cents. You said it yourself. I was just ballparking. I really don't know what the the going rate for manila envelopes is. Because I can't say I've ever... I mean, I've used them at work, but they were purchased by my workplace. I've never bought one. They've always just been there. Right. Yeah. Um, And then there was another group of counter-protesters, I'll call them, who sat... To, to explain the geography of the location we're at here, um, the courthouse sits back from the main street that we were along um, by probably probably 250 feet. Um, and on the courthouse lawn in the center, there's a few trees and a, a little bit of landscaping. In the center is a monument to um, soldiers who fought in the Civil War from our county. Uh, and then... And this is positioned on a square at a, at a four-way uh, red light. And so pr- protesters were arranged in an L along the main street in front of the courthouse and then running up the side of the courthouse lawn. Um, so we, at all times, uh, our our demonstration was occurring either very close to the road in the courthouse lawn or on the sidewalk. Um, these, these folks came with guns and sat on the steps of the courthouse. So they could watch over us to make sure we didn't do anything. Correct. Um, all the while, and it should, I should have mentioned this, that we met with that corporal from Heritage Affairs previous to the demonstration. Um, we, we began our demonstration at four. We went, we met with him at three fifteen. um, he said that while he would not be at the demonstration, he would be staying in the area. And throughout the entire demonstration, we had state troopers pass upwards of 10 times. Um, yeah. So they were in the area. Uh, one of them, when I spoke to them, revealed to me that there had been a threat made against police officers. And for that reason, they would not be allowed to be in uniform standing with us as I thought originally it was going to be. Um, I was shocked by that. And I said, you know, was the threat from 
our side or was this from the other side? And again, they could not tell me the organization or anything that it came from. Um, but they did say that it was, it was not us. It was from the other side. There was an, uh, an anti-police threat made. Um, and for that reason, they would not be able to be with us. So these folks showed up and one, well, you wanted to talk three percenter. You want to, you want to oh. take off from here? That they're just kind of the most hypocritical group of right-wingers there can be? Yeah, I mean, their whole thing is supposed to be anti-tyranny. Yeah. Right? Yep. So um, here's what I had to say about 3%ers. They're an American far-right militia group, but they claim to not be a militia group. Um, that advocates the ownership of firearms and the resistance to federal government's involve in, involvement in local affairs. Really what it means is they hated Obama, they loved Donald Trump. Yeah, in fact, their numbers, um, there's a Vice documentary. Um, their, their numbers exploded, uh, first at the election of Barack Obama, and then secondly at the election of Donald Trump. Not in opposition of Donald Trump, but feeling like, you know, they were, this was the, the Trump club, the Trump they're gun help, club. They're helping out the Donald. Yeah. Right. Really, uh, I just think I think three percenter meetups are just a, a place that you can compare your olive drab pants with each other. Yeah. It's like right. um, they would never say it, but it's kind of like a fashion show for them. Well, yeah. I mean, they show up and there's like memorabilia, all of which I'm pretty sure is in violation of flag code, which they'd they'd freak out if you violated right. it. Um, hey, I hey, let me show you these cool combat boots I got. They have American flag embroidered on the side of them. Right. But don't you dare wear American flag pants, you Antifa. Well, right. And, and I mean, their, their, their presence there to fight against people who are demonstrating for the people, right, um, is like those same people who fly the Gadsden flag alongside the thin blue line flag. You, you can't be don't tread on me and also uh, authority does nothing wrong. Um Hi, welcome to welcome to the oxymoron. Yeah, um, I have seen uh, I have seen an edited Gadsden flag where the snake is wearing like a gimp suit and there's a boot <laughs> a boot stomping on it. It says "Stomp harder, Daddy" or something. It's something. It's very disturbing. But uh, yeah, three percenters are like Renikoffs that nobody would hire. Right. Well, yeah, no one's hiring them for security detail. Yeah. Uh, they did show up. At in Charlottesville at the Unite the Right rally um, to supposedly, you know, um, protect the people who were there protesting. And didn't uh, then also a three percenter run in run over a bunch of people with a truck? I don't know that. Well, I think it was a Ford Mustang, not a, not a sponsor. <laughs> and uh, and I I think there's a direct correlation between three percenters and three percenters who own um, Mustangs. Oh, yeah, you're right, because he, the guy who was there yeah. for us, had a Mustang, too. Um, small dick car for a small dick group. Okay. <laughs> you, you just cut off all of our Mustang owner listeners. No, they, they know that they're the some of the Mustang people are good people. Okay. Um, but, yeah, I don't know that he was a three percenter, that guy who killed Heather Heyer. Um, he was a nut job, but I'm not sure yeah. that he was directly affiliated with... What's the what's the name of the group of people that uh, the right wingers that wear Hawaiian shirts? Boogaloo Boys. 
um, and their their whole thing, which it's it is interesting. We should mention. So let's let's talk specifically about you know the three percenter thug who was there um, and his friends Bucket Hat and Baldy. Yeah, he he I believe was the only one there who was a three percenter. He did bring his his daughter with him as well, uh, and they sat on the courthouse steps and then like every half hour or so he would walk around um, through our group. And every time he did, there were certain members that we knew he was targeting. And so some of us would get between him and them. Um, And it did just feel, I I don't think anyone there was like terrified, Um, but his presence was meant to intimidate. And so it felt like, I don't know. It felt like watching a wolf, you know, walk through your backyard. Yeah, wolf you know? without teeth. Yeah, I, I shouldn't characterize wolves that way. If a wolf walked through my backyard, I'd be like, I got to get the dogs inside. And yeah, that's an insult to wolves. This guy is like a coyote with mange. Okay, there. That's it. Yeah, that's what it's like. It's like watching a rabid animal walk through your backyard. Like, you know, you're mostly safe because you're not like going out and trying to hug the raccoon. But there's but an unpredictability also- to it. Exactly. That's it. That's really it. Um, and that's there. like if the rabid raccoon had a boot knife. Right. He was <laughs> he was there with his tactical knife on his boot. Uh, he was there with his, his sidearm that was visible. Um, you know, no doubt there were some people on our side even there who had their, their license for concealed carry who were carrying. Um, but, again, no one was there to start anything. No one, no one, in, no one had any violent... Uh, machinations that they were hoping to, to you know, see to fruition here that day. So, anyway, uh, most times he would come down through. Uh, a chant would start because he would you know look at signs and mutter something and kind of chuckle. And I think I th- heard him at one point say he looked at a sign and he said, "I'm not smart enough to read what that says." And then he walked away. Oh, is that what he said? Yeah. Uh, he is the person I think you're referring to when you said there were people there not wearing masks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. he was not wearing the, the whole group of them. I mean, mainly because his daughter was just chain-smoking cigarettes there, so yeah. she didn't cut a hole in her mask to be able to do it. Well, I mean, who has the time, right? Right. So um, he was there, and then at one point, one of the gentlemen he was there with is a person that I recognize uh, from the church that my mom uh, took us to at one point. Uh, and he was there because he, you know, quote unquote, wanted to make sure that we weren't going to vandalize the civil war memorial that was there. Now let's talk about civil war memorials as they stand right now and which ones are being, you know, vandalized or being taken down now by municipalities, which, which ones, Tyler, which ones are being taken down? Um, I would like to take 400, Alex, um, the ones that have to deal with Southern Civil War generals. Yeah, it's the Confederate monuments, um, which, again, you can miss me with this garbage that they're educational. You've never learned anything from a statue in your whole life. You can't even name. Well, I I won't challenge that. Some people do have that weird uh, borderline uh, fetishistic longing for antebellum. I'll, I'll just get one in here real quick. Yeah, go ahead. It's not hate. It's heritage. 
Right. Yeah. It's clearly that, um, despite the fact that you have misidentified the battle flag of Northern Virginia as the Confederate flag. It isn't. It's not that. And it really uh, was not until after the Civil War that segregationists began using it as a symbol for racial intimidation. Um, So, yeah, anyway. The monuments being vandalized by, quote-unquote, our side are Confederate monuments. uh, And this is a monument in the front of a rural courthouse in Pennsylvania. Tyler, do you know which side of the Civil War Pennsylvania fought? Yeah, the winners, the oh. union. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the monument is is not anything super elaborate. Um, it is um, a list of names of men who died in the Civil War and in what year during the Civil War they died. It's nice. It's tasteful. It's... Um, it's it's inoffensive. Like I don't know who would see that and think I'm gonna vandalize this, um, but that's why he claims to be there. Now he did walk around with this the three percenter, and in one occasion he began approaching some of our young. We had some you know some kids who were there with us. Um, they began approaching the kids, and at that point, you and I and a few other folks stood directly between them and the kids. Right, yeah, because these goons can't step to anybody their own size. Right. Um, And we stood. We said nothing to them. We just stood there. Uh, Again... Hey, hey, Andrew, how hard was it for you to not say something to them? It it was, and I can't stress this enough, (laughs) the the Uh, most difficult thing I've ever done... If you want to have our one, if you want to have want to have our one f bomb this time, you can say it. You can. No, have I'm not, not going to use it. I'm not going to use it. Okay. Uh, well, it was really fucking hard for you to not say something. <laughs> it, was, it was. And uh, at one point, the guy who was there just because he wanted the monument to be left alone looked at me and said, "Do you have something to say to us?" And I didn't. And I didn't say anything. And I, I did. St- I, I think I saw. I saw steam coming out of your ears. I had a lot of things to say to him, but I didn't say any of them. Uh, and he just looked at the three percenter and said, he's like some kind of stupid bug or something, which uh, again, not a, I, I'm, I got, I'm missing something here. I don't, I don't understand how, you know, being between you and people that you're there to intimidate children, uh, and me not saying anything back to you makes me a stupid bug. Hey, I like to, I'm, whatever. I'm, I'd like to play this game here real quick because we created this podcast, I feel, especially for us to have a platform to talk about our thoughts. I'll give you roughly one minute to say everything you wanted to say to that guy right now. I don't know. It wasn't it. It would have been stream of consciousness. And I want to I want to think that I wouldn't have tripped over myself, but maybe I would have. I don't think I would have, though, because somehow that rage breeds clarity. Hey, I've, I've seen you cut things down with your words, and this guy would have had no legs by the time you were done. Yeah, I, I got I mean, it, it probably just would have been about the fact that, you know, you you are supposedly here as the agent of six Semper Tyrannus and we are literally watching, you know, tyranny in action. Yeah. And you are you are here trying to intimidate children with your big man gun uh, and your little man boot knife. Right. I Who just, brings a boot knife to a fight. Well, I mean, it's just the responsible thing to do, right? Knives can't I, run out of knives can't run out of bullets when you're killing all those antifa terrorists. He's right? got a boot knife. Good thing I had a gym short knife. No, you didn't. I just had a sassy head bob there. Nobody can see it. 
<laughs> You're right, I didn't bring a knife with me, because the All only right. pocket knife I have is very dull, and it would have literally done nothing. Yeah. I would have so, poked him. So at one point, then, this 3%er left, um, and then returned, and they had us, um, they had vehicles outside of just the people sitting on the courthouse steps they had essentially um uh created a square around our our demonstration yeah there was like four sides of surveillance watching us like we were like you could have swore we were getting ready to rob a bank or something yeah well it wouldn't have surprised them they knew we were evil Um, i waited till you guys left and i went back and did rob the bank jokes on them they missed me that's crazy. I don't. I don't think that's even been reported yet. We just broke a story, <laughs> and, and you're guilty. I'm going to give your last name now. Um, <laughs> Alone in the Boondocks for breaking news. Come see us. <laughs> Come see us seven days later. Um, you know, it's, it's been like 14 days. Yeah, I know. Since the demonstration, I know. Um, so he left, and then he came back, and this time, and and I will say, I will, I will, I will own this. When I found out who this guy was after the impromptu demonstration when he came out and was a jerk to everyone, um, I did find him on Facebook. And it wasn't hard because, like I said, he was now harassing members of the protest. Um, And in a lot of his pictures, he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Uh, And I kind of like the thing. I mean, you don't Hawaiian shirts aren't really in vogue right now. (laughs) Speak for yourself. Sorry. So I don't. So it's strange to see a person wearing one, but it's also it would be a huge leap of logic for me to see a person in a Hawaiian shirt in a Facebook picture and be like, ah, boogaloo boy. Right. That being said, uh, I was then sent a picture of him later by a person who saw him in public again wearing a Hawaiian shirt and when he returned to the protest, he still had most of his fake military stuff on, but he was also now wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Um, and and the Boogaloo Boys are not a group that I'm super well, you know, I haven't looked into them a whole lot. I need to honestly stop looking into these weird fringe movements because then the podcast just becomes a half hour of me talking about these weird fringe yeah, movements. Yeah, how'd they but, come up? Do you know how the name originated for Boogaloo Boys? So, um... A college, one of my best friends from college used to always use the, the, um, he would always reference the, the Reddit turn of phrase when they would talk about a sequel to something, they would say like, uh, you know, something to electric boogaloo, um, and boogaloo, right? You even know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, if you Google boogaloo at this point, literally your results are the boogaloo movement. Like I'm, I don't know that. I can even find a dictionary definition easily anymore for what the word means. But essentially, um, oh, here it is. A modern dance to rock and roll performed with swiveling and shuffling movements of the body, originally popular in the 1960s. Wow, it's actually somehow worse of a name for a right-wing movement than I thought it could be. Yeah. Um, but no, uh, they they essentially they want to instigate the boogaloo, uh, which is what which is a, uh, a series of violent events that will lead to the second American Revolution. By definition, they want to incite boogaloo, so that means they want to make people dance. 
Um, yeah, I think they're using the term boogaloo pretty usefully. I don't think they want anyone to dance. I think they are, uh, I think they're fantasizing about terrorism. Um, great. Yeah. So he showed back up in a Hawaiian shirt and I think made maybe one more pass through the group, uh, while eating a bag of potato chips. Terrible Uh, wardrobe choice and terrible name for a group. These people suck. Yeah. So I, I don't know how much of the three percenter movement crosses over into the Boogaloo movement. I do know that we know from several of the protests that turned violent from the protesters' side across the country that a lot of the folks who who incited the violence have been found to be members of the Boogaloo Boys. So um, uh, I saw a Venn diagram. Not really, but I just made this up. It's uh, the one side is three percenters. One side is Boogaloo Boys, and in the middle, it's just small dick losers. Oh, okay. So I think that's the correlation. I feel like both of those circles would actually just be consumed by a very large circle. <laughs> uh, I don't know. So um, we got an interview from the person I would credit with being the, the primary organizer of the demonstration, and then we also got a remote statement made by another participant um, who had been local for a very long time, um, moved away to Baltimore to pursue a career, um, and then through a series of events, found their way back here for a little while, and then has moved away again recently, but came back to the area to stand with us in solidarity because he is a progressive who has frequently felt alone in the boondocks and, you know, to return here and, and, um, you know, be out in the streets with us, uh, with the message that we had was, was, um, you know, something he was into. Uh, I do think, um, you know, report that he was coming from, you know, like an hour away. And there were several other folks who either were home with their parents because of COVID-19 or they literally came back to the area because they heard about this demonstration. Um, I don't know if that's what some of the conspiracy theorists caught wind of and were insisting that, you know, Antifa was sending in paid actors, uh, I don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying I, to give them. I mean, a the logical. general the general joke of the uh, the protest was when we were all getting our checks because I have right. still yet to receive mine. So, yep. if you can yep. please put me in touch with the HR person sending out the Antifa checks, I would like to be compensated for my time. <laughs> Four hours at fifteen dollars an hour plus taxes. Um, I'm looking at about forty three fifty. Did you see that uh, for Trump's rally in Tulsa? They actually were posting ads. Um, asking for black actors, um, but they were not going to pay them. They were just giving them exposure. Oh, that's yeah. a great word. Yeah. Expo- yeah, they were giving them exposure to COVID-19. Yeah. Um, that was a good one. All right, so um, why don't you play the interview that we had? Absolutely. Let me just find it here. Um, sorry, I have it here. Okay, and then here is the interview we took from the beginning of the protest, just a few minutes before we actually got underway. Okay, Uh, so we are out here at our small rural demonstration of racial solidarity. About seven minutes, lots of motorcycles, about seven minutes from our official start time, and we have Shalee here. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for organizing this. Absolutely. Shalee has been the organizer. Uh, I'm looking at you like there's a camera. Uh, Shalee's been the organizer for the entire thing on Facebook. Um, 
Shilly, what was your what was your uh, your intent organizing this whole thing? Uh, my intent was really just to show the brothers and sisters of color in our community that uh, hashtag not all white people. Number one, <laughs> we hear you, we see you. We uh, want to not just preach a message of tolerance, but to be very vehemently anti-racist. That's awesome. And how has the community interpreted that? Not so well. <laughs> uh, when you live in rural Appalachia and you're a disabled queer, they don't really tend well to your message. But I will tell you that there has been an incredible, yeah, as you can hear, awesome solidarity right now. An incredible amount of positivity. I met so many people that were just Facebook friends. Yeah. You and I. Yeah, absolutely. We're here today. And it's incredible. Uh, you, you, Less than a week ago, I met you for the first time. I know, and here we are today. Uh, so how politically do you identify? And do you think that's relevant to what's going on right now? Um, I do think it's relevant to what's going on right now. And I, I consider myself a leftist or a progressive. Um, maybe even I would say a secular progressive, to be more specific. Okay. Um, I just think that people should do good and let people alone, and that's pretty much it. All right. And last but not least, and it's unfortunate that we have to ask this question, but do you have any fears of things today? Yeah, I had to put in writing to my best friend, if something happens to me, please don't let my oldest child's biological father take her away from my wife. So yeah, yeah, I had to put that in writing on my phone just to make sure if just in case, because yeah. I don't have, um, I don't have, say, like power of attorney or a sure, will or anything like will. that. And there have been where we live in a rural town like this, like you really do risk your life speaking out in a way that rocks the boat. 100%. 100%. So. Well, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you it. for speaking with me. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me a platform. It means a lot. Of course. Yeah, so Shelly, um, I, I, this is a person who lives 10 minutes from me, who, whose existence I didn't know of until um, three weeks ago. Um, and even that was, um, I started to see some of the stuff she was posting about, you know, how some of the regressives in our community were responding to COVID-19 or not responding, unfortunately, and anyway, um, to COVID-19. Um, this, this is one of those things where I can't stress enough how valuable it has been to me. And I don't want to speak for you here, but it has been incredibly valuable to me. Um, you know, at, the, at, at, at its, at its most personal for my mental health at its, you know, most widespread, the more allies we know we have near us, the more we can feel like we can, you know, safely, actively advocate for um, social and political progress. So meeting her and, and now knowing her and, and I would go as far to say building a friendship with her has been uh, humbling. It's been remarkable. It has been it has restored my faith in so many aspects of the community that I had that I had lost faith in. Um I mean, again, you heard her say that, you know, she is in uh, um, a situation that is much, you know, different from the one that I knew. She's not from here originally. She moved here because this is where her wife is from. Um, and, you know, based solely on what I just said there, she and her wife, uh, she meets a lot more static than than I ever have. Um, so the bravery that she shows to organize and to be out there uh and to be very vocal about it too, she, and to be very vocal about it um, is remarkable. Like she is a she is a true champion of 
progress and 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 justice. Um, you said true yeah. champion of progress, and I was like, I'm going to say that too, but I couldn't think of the word that was. I was going to say progress, po- progressivity, progressiveness. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm not the eloquent one here. I just uh, I recorded the interview. If you guys were wondering who recorded it, I did. Yeah, Me. you did a good job. I did. Good, good job, job, bud. Good job, bud. <laughs> good job. Uh, good job handing out the microphones. Yeah. Yeah. No, you did a great job with that. Um, Amazon. Right. I don't know the brand I bought, but um, I will put a link somewhere. I bought $20 lapel mics. And let's be honest, the sound quality is pretty great. Yeah, they were. They were nice. Our, uh, <clears throat> our audio producer here, Josh, may not think the same, but to our to our untrained ears, it sounds great. Yeah. We're like, of great. We're, re- we're really good at this. Like, yeah. we're professionals. Uh, do you want to play the other clip from the other the other person I talked about? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. Here, let okay. me. You know, I had this brought up. There it is. Okay. All right, and then uh, this gentleman sent me an audio clip, probably four or five days after the the protest itself, and and he'll go into how I asked him kind of how he felt during it all, and I went to the same grade school as this this kid did. Um, He's a few years younger than I did, so we've kind of grown up in the same town for the younger halves of our lives. Hi, uh, my name is Brandon. So I've grown up in a very rural area, um, and I, I spent most of my life there. It's uh, it's kind of a strange experience, I, I have to say. You know, just even just thinking back on the you know the route that my life's taken. So I was lucky enough to be born to parents who, you know, weren't in the best position, but they were still, they had me young and they were both kind of open-minded. So they at least did their best to give me the, you know, the right virtues and ideas growing up. Uh, I remember at a very young age, my dad teaching me about Dr. King um, and everything that folks did during the civil rights era to struggle for justice and equality. Uh, And I remember as a kid thinking, you know, that I got it, but you know, I really didn't entirely get it. Uh, the county where I where I grew up and spent most of my life so far um, is uh, just about 97% white. Uh, so there's not a whole lot of ethnic diversity there. And uh, to be honest, there's really not a whole lot of diversity of thought either. So that made it really hard for me to really see beyond what the vast majority of my area thought. Uh, it made it even hard for my parents to to get beyond that because when you're when you're surrounded by the same thing for so long it's just it becomes a part of you sometimes unless you have another you know input and output um so there were things that i that i believed when i was a teenager um early on that you know i still cringe about and i got better you know i learned to think for myself and i learned to you know look for the the right media sources but it wasn't really until i got to college that things really started to to broaden for me and i remember when i got there uh, it's a major university only about an hour away from where i from where i grew up Uh, i remember a lot of my a lot of my classmates who were from more urban areas who had gone to schools with you know a little more funding uh, they all kind of looked at me like, you know, I was like a well-meaning hick who was doing his best to, I guess, get woke or something. Um, and I guess that's what I was. I was still trying to learn things. And there were things, even in college, I still didn't grasp. 
Um, it was about when I was in college that the Black Lives Matter movement really started blooming. And it took me a while to really understand it. Uh, it wasn't really until just after I graduated that I moved to Baltimore and that living in Baltimore for a year opened my eyes to so many things. So here I am. I'm now back in the region I grew up in, um, surrounded by the same old thoughts that people all have always had here. But now they've been poisoned by the person who's currently president. And uh, it's hard to live around. It's it, it's really rough. It's frustrating. It, it's so aggravating to be around people who only want to believe what they've always thought. And you want to introduce them to the experiences you've had. You want to tell them about the people that you've met from all these different walks of life, but they don't want to listen because they're just comfortable in what they've been brought up with. So I find the best thing you can do is just, um, you know, associate yourself with like-minded people. And from there, talk about ways you can try to make your home a little better. Uh, that's what I've been trying to do. Uh, so that's where I'm at. Yeah. Um, he speaks eloquently. Um, he speaks a lot of the truth that I think that, you know, if you are a rural progressive, these are things that you've, you know, this is the life you've, you've lived. Um, the lack of diversity of thought, I think, um, especially, um, there is not a whole lot of formal study of, of ethics. And so, um, there's not a lot of formal study of any, um, discipline of discourse. So, I mean, this is what leads uh, eventually to that level of American exceptionalism in rural areas, uh, where my opinion and my anecdote are worth just as much as your statistics and your, you know, legitimate general account from a person of a different walk of life. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we see that this is, I feel like going to sound really cheesy, but I've been kind of wanting to say it like on, on that day of that protest and stuff. I mean, we, we called this podcast alone in the boondocks, but on that day, it felt like we were together in the boondocks. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it was great being surrounded by people that, you know, feel the exact same way you do. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to, ruin the perspectives of, of either of those people, um, who we just listened to. So I'm set to give my recommendation and my thanks and close. If you're, if you're good for that, I just need to touch on the craziest thing I read the past week. Okay. Just real quick. Um, and not to make light of the situation, but, um, but just, I read the other day, the, probably the worst conspiracy theory I've ever read my entire life. The fact that Derek Chauvin, the cop who cold-bloodedly murdered George Floyd, was actually a crisis actor played by the host of the cash cab, Ben Bailey. Yeah. That's how far it goes, man. Like, that's how, that's how intentionally, like, part of me has to... I have to believe that some level of this alt-right regressive movement, some part of it, the people who are putting that information out there, who are formulating it to begin with, are either very, very mentally ill or, you know, a term I don't use often, evil, blatantly evil. 
you know, and then they put it out there and it gets spread by the ignorant. Um, some of them willfully ignorant, some of them um, unknowingly ignorant, I guess. But the, 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 the depths that some of these theories go to are mind-blowing. And there was only one comment under the person I saw who posted it, and it was, tell me these aren't crisis actors being paid to film this movie. You can't change my mind. And I just like, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I know Ben Bailey's not killing an innocent black person. Is it Ben Bailey or Bill Bailey? It's Ben Bailey. Benjamin Bailey, the host of The Cash Cab. Great show. I don't think this man would ever murder anybody for any money. Yeah, Bill Bailey is that English comedian. Nor do I think that Ben Bailey is hurting for money right now. I imagine the cash cab is syndicated, and he probably makes money for the reruns. So if you think this is real, stay off the internet, because I hate you. (laughs) And what would you like to recommend this week? Uh, Wow, that was aggressive. Uh, (laughs) Tell me your recommendations! (laughs) Uh, My wife and I watched it when it first came out on Netflix. Um, More relevant... I shouldn't say more relevant now than ever. That just shows my white privilege because it's always been relevant. It We're just at a watershed moment here. Um, the documentary 13th on Netflix, I'm not going to say anything about it uh, except that it is – if you watch it and you don't feel <laughs> – if you don't feel – furious and terrified and heartbroken if something doesn't stir in you after watching that film um get help uh get help i mean i want to watch it now but now i'm afraid to watch it because i I mean don't i i I think it's our responsibility as as white allies to be informing ourselves about the black perspective as much as humanly possible um but again, that caveat here being you're only going to be a good ally if you're, you know, maintaining your own well-being mentally. So don't maybe watch it when you're already super depressed, but also don't watch it when you're having a great day because it will ruin your day. So, but it's fantastic. Um, really, really good. Do you have a rec? Um, yeah, it's. Unfortunately, not something quite as serious as that. But we did watch the movie Uncut Gems the other day, and it was pretty great, honestly. Yeah, I need to watch that still. It was, it's a, honestly, it made me feel very anxious the entire movie because the movie is very, like, like, 100 miles an hour. Okay. But definitely worth the watch. All right. If you have questions for us, if you have suggestions, if you have constructive criticism uh if you hate us just tell us we don't really no 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 i don't need that i don't want that please don't do that if you hate us just bottle draw, it up bottle draw it up a inside. picture draw a picture of what you think i look like and then burn it that's fine that don't send me a picture don't send me a video of you doing it or anything like that it'll hurt my fragile feelings you all um, know what i look like so i don't care uh we have an email address and a Twitter handle. What's the Twitter handle? It's AITB, all capital, two underscores after, because AITB1 underscore is taken. Okay. Um, and the email address is just alone in the boondocks at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook, Alone in the Boondocks. Um, yeah. And uh, we'd like to thank Josh Engel for at Native Studios for producing this, because we forgot to thank him on the last two episodes. And he yep. put a lot of work in on the last episode, and I feel really bad that we didn't say anything. Yep. 
He and like thank- he he has to listen to all these just to make sure they sound good. And, and, then, he, and he's like, he's like waiting at the end. He's like, oh here here it comes. Here's the payoff. They're gonna and thank me. We missed me. it. We and missed it like, two times in a row. Yeah yeah. Uh, we're thanks terrible also, thank, thanks also to Kayla Little for the art. She is the official Alone in the Boondocks artist. Uh, when we need art for something else, I will 100% be going back to her again, unless she's annoyed by it and doesn't want me to. Yeah, uh, we also got stickers made from our thumbnail picture, so we're going to post this this podcast, and you're going to share it, and then I'm going to write you a handwritten note and send you a sticker, if you feel comfortable sending yeah, me your address. If, you, if, if not, I'll just leave if, them if in you the, share, the wild somewhere for you. You can find them. If you, if you share the podcast on Facebook or Twitter and then you send us a private message, we will make sure that we mail a sticker out to you. They're pretty cool stickers. Yeah, yeah, they're nice. I just um, put one on my laptop. Right. Uh, my name's Andrew. My name's Tyler. And we are alone in the boondocks. Still no alchemy.